Hey everybody, welcome to Thumbnail, a visual arts podcast. I'm Joe Roshert, illustrator, animator, and adjunct professor. And I'm Louis Rosignol, visual artist, and today we have a special guest. We're going to be interviewing Carla Sondheim. Did I, I said that right? Right. Yes. And you may know Carla because she has a really a pretty big website that she does art classes on. And I've actually taught one at the beginning of this year and I had a lot of fun doing it. And so I'm really happy that you were willing to come on and talk with us on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. We're really thrilled to. So would you like to tell us how you got started as a professional artist? <laughs> Well, yes, I was a very late bloomer. I went to college in history and thought that I would maybe go into law school and decided pretty quickly after I worked in the law office that wasn't for me. And then I spent the next 10 years just floundering about one job after another. I eventually got into publishing and doing writing and editing. And then I, I didn't want that. So then I started doing graphic design and then I didn't like that. And so this series of failed jobs, I mean, by the time I was in my almost 40, I, I was so frustrated because I felt like I hadn't gotten anywhere, right? You know, But I did decide at that point to quit my job, which I was very unhappy with, and, and try to be an artist. Mm -hmm. And it took about 10 years after that before we started find any traction because even within the artist part, there were lots of things to try. I, I opened an Etsy store. I tried to get into galleries. I did the a little bit of the art festival circuit with a few shows. Bears and craft things, yeah. <laughs> yes. And so my road has been one of uh, trying things, finding what I don't want to do, and then ending up finding what I do want to do because of that. And what I really ended up landed on was not only drawing and painting for myself, but teaching. I found that I loved teaching as much as I loved the creating part, or at least it was equal passions. So it took me a long time to get there, but that's, I started teaching adult, well, first I started teaching kids in my son's elementary school classrooms. And then I started teaching adults at various retreats. And then we've been doing the online classes for Almost 10 years now. Wow. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it had been 10 years. What year was it when you started teaching, I guess, children first? Yes. Well, I was lucky in that my sons were in elementary school and they're seven years apart. So I basically had an elementary school child for 12 years <laughs> or something right. like that. And the teachers, all the art programs had been kind of cut in the schools. And so the teachers were sort of desperate for some art instruction and they found out I was creative. And so they would ask me. So I ended up teaching maybe, you know, once a week for some years, but then there was one year where I was the artist in residence for second, third, and fourth graders. And so I taught 17 classes a week for them. And so I really cut my teaching teeth on children, trying to keep it as fun as possible because there were so many in the room, but also keep it real and so that they're actually learning stuff. And so mm -hmm. when I started teaching adults, someone asked me, I met this real resistance to drawing from the audience. And yeah. so I just gave them the exercises I had developed for the kids. And I brought in stuffed animals for them to draw instead of <laughs> bottles. And I had them draw with their wrong hand or upside down or whatever, all the tricks, all the things to try to keep it fun and get people out of their head. And that seemed to work. Yeah. Do you have a preference of teaching children or adults? Wow, that's a good question. They're so different. I mean, I really love teaching adults because I really feel like that's almost my mission. Yeah. Especially when I can, I remember 
one time, this was maybe 10 years ago, I had was teaching a three-hour drawing class and everybody in the class was nervous for one reason or another. Some were had not drawn at all since third grade and others were accomplished artists who had gone to art school, but they had gotten so tight with their art that they weren't having any fun anymore. And it was a small class. And by the end of the three hours, everybody left happy. And I remember calling my husband. I just said, this is my mission. This is what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So I would say that I enjoy teaching adults for that reason, because to me, it's almost a form of, at least in the case of those eight women that were there that night, like I really helped them that night. Like I helped them accept who they are and where they are and, and everything. And children I love for different reasons. They're just funny and they're free. And the guy over here isn't following directions, but that ends up being the one that I love the most. So (laughs) so I would say that um, I love teaching both, but I'm probably, I think I I have the right personality long-term to teach adults versus children. Big groups of children, they tend to get out of hand and then it it becomes overwhelming for me, but I love their energy. Yeah. Yeah. How do you compare in-person versus online courses? Because I I experience you're talking about is probably, it might be unique to being in-person, right? To really feel the energy. Well, I do really think that there's nothing like an in-person class, you know, and the energy, the personal connection, being able to walk around the room, being able to sort of read the room and figure out, like I can almost feel if there's a tension in the room. However, I have found that online classes surprisingly are a close second. It's slightly less intimate, but that is made up for by the sort of energy of the number of people that can be there. And especially if they're deciding to um, be in our Facebook groups or whatever. I mean, it's very inspiring. So instead of being at a table and maybe getting up every once in a while and seeing 15 other people's work, you do get to see maybe 100 other interpretations of the same assignment, which can be very, very helpful. I think that I started teaching online partly because my son was in high school and I missed a very important concert (laughs) because I had to be in Minnesota or something to teach. And online teaching was just starting up. And so I decided that I would at least temporarily go online so that I could be there for my son in his last years of high school. When you started teaching online, did you initially start your own website or were you using a different platform? I think I did one or two sort of guest classes on some platform that I can't even remember. And it was a sewing class of all things. But basically after that, I went right into doing it on my own. My husband is a professional photographer. And well, the first online class I did actually didn't have video. It was called The Art of Silliness. And it was 30 worksheets, drawing worksheets. So every day you would get a new PDF to fill out. And the reason I came up with that class is because I wanted to sort of draw attention to my book, Drawing Lab, which was coming out. And I was going to teach at one of the big teaching venues, Art Fest. And I knew that there would be a lot of people there that I could, you know, tell about this online class. And then I hoped that they were interested in online class, that they would be interested in the book. So that's one of the main reasons I did the class. And that turned out great. And then I asked my husband if he would help me set up my iPhone to do a, a video. And he said, no, I won't 
do that. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. <laughs> and so then we spent the next five years tussling over what the easiest and best and smoothest way it was to videotape artists. And at, once we got that figured out, we started bringing in other artists to teach with us too. That's really cool. So was I the first person that you had to record like elsewhere? Because I know usually you have the artists come and you record them there. But because of COVID, when I recorded, that wasn't possible. You're the first and so far the only. We have our kit all set up and ready to send somewhere else. But so far, we're, we were able to get Anita in because she's been vaccinated and nice. things are starting to change. But having that sort of kit that we could send out does open up the door to having artists on that we wouldn't normally be able to, to have. So we're excited about that. That's true. Because like shipping that, all that equipment isn't cheap and it's probably almost just as cheap to have someone fly there versus shipping that stuff and insuring it. But anyway, the equipment that you use is, is really good stuff. So you're getting great quality videos. I was thinking about the difference between like, because I know you've done art books and tutorial art books and then a video class with like a Facebook group and and it's just so much more interactive to do a video class. And I think for the person creating it, it's probably a better tool. And for the student, would you agree with that? Have you found it to be a lot better than doing the books? Or Well, yes, because a book would be a very solitary experience. And that that is the surprising thing. Well, I think all of us have felt the surprise of how we can actually make friends via Zoom over the last year, right? Because of the pandemic. And it's the same thing with the online classes. It's surprising how close you can feel and get with mm -hmm. these people that you've never met in the flesh. And I did have a, a counselor friend tell me that, you know, this isn't new. I mean, whole relationships were, you know, love affairs were built by just writing letters back and forth, you know, 100 years ago. So it's not new that good, strong, intimate relationships can be formed without being in the same room with someone. But I think that the online class, because it there's just this collective, all these people are doing it at the same time. They know that the teacher is there to comment or answer emails if needed. It's just you're together with people rather than a, a book where you just buy it and the author is some person you're afraid to email, <laughs> you know. And they're never going to see the artwork you create while using the book versus like these classes. I got to say the, the Facebook group is like, it's really inspiring to see all the students post in the Facebook group. And like you said, there's students that are beginners and there's students that have been doing it a long time. And so the skill level varies, but everyone is just so into it and positive and upbuilding to each other and encouraging. It was hard to keep up with because there were so many students and you know you have to check it multiple times a day and you wanna give feedback to all these students because they paid money and they, they want you to see their work. And so I was happy to do it, but do you find it, you must find it hard to keep up with too when, when a lot of people are in a certain class and you have to check in on that all the time. Well, it's the most rewarding, but also the most challenging part of the way we do online classes is that we do ask teachers to be present in the Facebook group or the other forums that we're going to be trying, <laughs> especially during the duration of the live class so that they could get feedback. I'm not sure that others really do that, but I do think it makes a difference in people feeling really connected and and supported and held during that class. I think so. It's nice. I tried to comment on every, pretty much everything I could. And so I wanted to make sure everyone had the, a similar experience. And so I think probably most of the teachers that you're working with are doing that too. Yes, we asked them to. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not 
not easy, but it's it's so inspiring that it's worth the time. Yes. I didn't realize how busy I was going to be when I did the mm. class, like for those two weeks. Yes. I thought maybe it would be like, oh, I'll check in in the morning and I'll spend 10 minutes giving some feedback. And it was a lot different than I thought, but I mean, it was really cool. Well, your class was particularly successful. So yes, you did have, you had a lot of people in your class. Uh, everyone loved your class. Thank you for that. I, I'm not good with compliments, so I just moved past it real quick. <laughs> Do you have like a, a cap where you wouldn't sell more than this number for like the two-week period because maybe this it wouldn't, it would be too much for the teacher to be able to give feedback to everyone? So far, we haven't had to put a cap on. Usually we do what I did with you is if it starts to get kind of high, and that would be maybe three to 400 students. And when 400 students sign up, not all of them are in the Facebook group participating. So yeah. if 400 students sign up, then I know that there might be 200 in the, that are going to actually post in the Facebook group. So right around that I just know from experience right about there, it becomes a part-time job to actually the focus of that artist, the teacher's two-week thing. So then I'll I'll shoot an email to the teacher and say, hey, should we uh, limit or are you willing to go all in for these couple weeks? And so far, everybody's been willing to go all in. And it's never gotten so big that it's been completely out of control. People are understanding like cause there was some times where I, you know, I maybe it took me maybe 24 hours or something during that two week period to, to actually give someone feedback because I was trying to catch up and people weren't like mad about it or anything. I think they're just we happy. have the best group. <laughs> we have really nice people. Yeah, actually, I had like three or four different people from the class, like private message me and said, I got a bunch of old photographs or stamps. Can I send them to you? So I got like, wow, so that was really nice that people sending me, you know, I use that stuff in my art. So it was like, great. I was so happy that people are just like wanting to help each other out. And people would ask questions in the Facebook group, like which ink are you using? What, or what do you think of this? And everyone was answering. It was just nice. Yes, we do. We have the most helpful community. They're really great. Yeah. So you mentioned you're looking at different platforms for teaching. Oh, I see for the Facebook. Yes, we've had people ask if we could change our Facebook. So we do the online classes through our own website. We had a developer figure it out. And we do the actual online class part, the videos and the everything through there. But then we've had a our community forums be on Facebook. We have been getting feedback for the last two years asking to have an alternative to Facebook. And I tried when I did my year-long class, I tried to use Padlet for my year-long class, but that is a really large class with lots of people and it kind of broke Padlet. So we now I've gone to having both. There's a Facebook group where most of the people post their work and comment on each other's work. And then the Padlet group where maybe only 5% of people are there. But they're happy to have that alternative because for whatever reason, they don't want to be on Facebook. It would probably be hard to set up like your own place on your actual website for people to be able to post and comment. That would be a, a nightmare to try to set up. So it's good to probably do that part of the class on a social media network like that. My husband, Steve, who's a full partner in this, um, is always sort of talking with our web guy and, and trying to figure out but yes, for now, Facebook is our best option. There are other things and we'll continue to look for them. But I got overwhelming uh, <laughs> response that people wanted to go back to Facebook <laughs> when I tried it. So for now, we're going to have the two platforms and it's not perfect, but we're always looking. But that's where we'll be probably for this year. Yeah, I think it's smart. Most people are on Facebook. Um, so 
but it is good to have an alternative for the for the people that don't use it for sure. Building a community is so important, and I think you've you've done a great job with this. How did you market your classes and and start to form this community? Well, it's been a while. Like I have a, a newsletter list that has been growing for well, 15 years. I think some of the people on that started to be on that newsletter list, I got their emails when I was out hawking my artwork, you know, in Oklahoma City. <laughs> so I, I've been very, um, I wouldn't say very good about it, but I've been pretty good about asking people to sign up for my newsletter list for about 15 years. Wow. And then probably number one reason I have any community or anything at all is because of my book, Drawing Lab. It sold really well. That has been the best marketing and advertising that one could hope for is to have a, a, a book that sold, <laughs> sold as well as it did. And so people, I think, will look me up because of that. And then they'll find the online classes. I really don't know actually how people find me. I do think it's a lot of word of mouth. We have advertised a little bit in some magazines, but for the most part, it's been growing that email list. And I, and I do write a newsletter twice a month. And sometimes it's better than others. Sometimes it's sort of more creative. And other times it's just like, hey, we have a class for sale, you know, please check it out. But I try to be consistent with that. Like I haven't let months and months go by without that newsletter. For example, I always sending at least two a month. I am active on social media, but not very much just Facebook and Instagram. And I just found that I can't do everything. And so I had to kind of choose the two that I could do. And, and that's right. what I'm doing there. But yes, building that mailing list. And again, having the book, that's been great for us. And yep. I've written two other ones. And then Steve and I or Steve wrote a book on photography. And so they're all out there too. But really, Drawing Lab is the one that has been the most help. And Drawing Lab, that's through a publisher? Yes, I published through Quarry Books. That's actually how I first talked to you, Carl, I think, because they had contacted me about doing an art book. And I did some research online to see who, what other books they had published. And I saw your book. And so that's, I reached out to you and I asked if you had what your experience was with the publisher, because I didn't know if I even wanted to do an art book like that through a publisher. Yes. Are you going to do one? I'm not going to do one. It turns out, so because I've been fortunate enough to grow a decent size audience, it actually works better for me just to self-publish because, yeah, I have to pay the initial cost, but I end up, you know, you make all the money on the book once you break even. After that, all every book you sell is 100% yours versus... So the deal that they offered me just wasn't... I knew that I could self-publish the same book and make two to three times as much easily. Yes. So that's why I didn't. If you're an artist that doesn't have a large following and you get offered to do a, a book publishing deal, it's definitely worth doing because they're going to help you push it and get it out there. Yes. I think you're right that in some ways you might be able to make more money self-publishing, but if it's numbers you're after you possibly might do better going the traditional route, for sure. No, you're right. Because, you know, the benefit to what you're talking about is if you go through the publisher, you may not see as much money from the book sales themselves, but they might be able to sell so many more than you'd be able to sell yourself that you'd get new fans that you didn't get because of that. So it's like pros and cons, you have to weigh. Yes. And you should also, I mean, if there's artists listening that want to do a book, the other thing to consider is what kind of personality are you? Because Lewis, it is amazing. It's amazing that you can self-publish and take it from start to finish and publish these beautiful books. It's amazing that you have the self-discipline to actually follow through. Whereas right. for me, I would never have finished Drawing Lab if I didn't have 
a contract and an editor breathing down my neck. I mean, honestly, there was a point where I was a month behind and I had so much artwork to complete. And my husband looked at the list and he thought he, he was encouraging to me. But later he told me, he thought, she is never going to get that done. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the only reason I did it was because I just couldn't let down these people who had paid money and were on a schedule. So that is another consideration. If you are an artist looking to write a book, it may be that you have to go to with the publisher because that's the only way you'll get your butt in gear to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Are you familiar at all with Will Terry, the illustrator? No. So he put out uh, his first Kickstarter book, where he so he published it himself. And he was talking about how he hadn't even finished the book when he put the Kickstarter up. His Kickstarter did well, and he raised a lot of money, a lot of orders for the book. And so then he what he felt like obligated to finish it because now he's got you know a few hundred people or maybe a thousand people that are waiting for this book that's not even produced. So he kind of put that on himself. So, that, you know, maybe to pressure him to do it. But you're right. If you don't have anybody expecting you to finish it or care if it gets finished, then it's easy to just kind of you know, whatever. But I'm pretty motivated. So I, that type of thing is OK for me. I know I'll be able to do what well, I want. Well, that Kickstarter example that you gave is just that's exactly what I'm talking about. And that's in a way how we get our online classes done, because we do actually film and produce them. I mean, we film them and do all the, the head work. We don't edit until after that's already started selling. And it's the same thing as the Kickstarter <laughs> ideas that we have people counting on us to edit that video by this certain date. And so therefore we do it. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And you were, you're quick because the class that I did, we filmed it not that long before you started selling it and before the class went out. So Steve's quick with editing. And I know editing video takes time a lot of time if you're not good with it. He's an amazing editor. And he um, we're a very small, we have a tight ship. It's just the two of us with a little bit of help from my daughter-in-law. And we've tried to have employees in the past help us, but have found that we've kind of set up the business to sort of fit our personalities. And my personality needs a lot of alone time to be creative and to do. And so to have an employee around trying to find things for them to do or being interrupted is disruptive to me. So in the end, we've chosen not to go big, big company, but to keep it pretty lean so that it fits with our personalities. And so to answer your question, he is quick because there's not a lot of talk. <laughs> you know, we film it, he gets the things, he starts working on it. I'm the only one that he has to talk to about it. And so that's why it does go a lot quicker. That's interesting what you say about you decided not to become like a big, big company because you could you could easily hire, a, you know, a few marketing people and start selling probably a lot more classes and get a lot more people in each class. But it just goes to show like, really, if you have even just like a 500 or a thousand fans of your what you're doing that are willing to go on the ride with you, that's really all you need to sustain yourself and have a good career in the arts. Like you just need, you know, really a good group of people that are loyal and will support you no matter what you do. So you don't need a hundred thousand followers or I know that you must have a lot of people that take almost every class you put out there, they're joining. We do have a lot of people, yes, that take most everything. Yes. And then we have a lot of people that just dip in and take one or two. But I think you're so right, Lewis, that, well, for one thing, I mean, there's a lot of, you, you want to know who you are and what you want. And also we don't, more isn't necessarily better, you know, more money. I mean, right. I, I like money. I like making money, but it's not worth changing sort of, or, or trying to do something that I'm not well suited for to get it. You know what I mean? It's okay not to just go for the 
the most money. Everybody knows this, but it, it, you really want to stick with what's important to you. And to me, what's important to me as far as the artists I work with is that I get a good, you know, I feel like we can work together, that I like them. I love their work. I feel like they have a teacher's heart. And so there's lots of times when I've been approached or I've tried to ask somebody to teach that maybe didn't have one of those things that maybe they they didn't really even want to teach. And that even though they probably would have made us money, I decided not to go with them because it's important to me that these three things are, are all really solid. I like the person, I like their art, and they want to teach. They love to teach. That makes sense. When you first started your website and teaching, did you have it in your mind that you wanted to have other artists also teach? Or did you just think it was going to be like your own platform that you would just do all the class? Steve and I had different ideas about that. <laughs> I wanted it just to be me because I didn't want to, I didn't know. I think Creative Bug might have just been starting out and it seemed overwhelming to have like all these artists. It seemed like having a business rather than doing what we love. But Steve always wanted to. He knew that I only had so many tricks to teach and that if we were going to make this something that was viable, we would probably need to add more artists. And so he was sort of pushing for that. And then all of a sudden I got, I caught the vision. I, I caught the vision that I could curate the artists that I have work for us. And it, it didn't have to be this out of control. We're going to have somebody do mushroom painting, <laughs> you know, like it didn't have to be it could stay within my taste and my passions. And then once I caught that vision, then I was all in. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're... But it took me about two or three years for me to kind of get there. <laughs> so the first couple of years, really, you were the one that was doing all the classes on the on the site. Yes. How many classes a year do you typically do? Well, we have our bread and butter class, which basically pays Steve's and my salary is the year-long class, which usually is 24 lessons a year. So one lesson every two weeks. Okay. And that's usually me, or sometimes I've taught it with guest artists or partnership with another artist. But So that's like our big overarching class that goes through the whole year and is a constant. We change it up every year. One, two years, it was like a, a little video every single day called 365. And other years, we were uh, focusing on fairy tales or whatever. But anyway, we have this overarching year-long class that is kind of our bread and butter. And then we do, we produce probably between eight and 12 other online classes with um, either me, maybe I'll do one of those, and then the rest would all be guest instructors. Every year, we also do a free kids art camp. And so that that's our July class is a free class. And that it's meant for kids, but adults are allowed to um, join in as well. And it's it's a great thing. And you had asked early on, what's my favorite thing to teach? Adult, I would have, if I had to choose, I would say adults, but the art that comes from kids, oh, I love it so much. So um, that's why we do the Kids Art Week is because that was my roots. That's sort of how I started teaching. And so it just feels right to do do this kids thing every year. That's funny. I was just thinking when you were talking about kids art, I recently was at my parents and I went through their attic and I was looking through my old stuff. And there's like from like first grade, maybe like kindergarten to like third or fourth grade. My drawings are actually pretty good because they're so loose and they're, you know, they're kid drawings. But then when I started to learn like more about form, they got tight and they got awful for like five or six years and then they started to get better again so it was like great and then terrible and then it's worked its way out of it but it's like children just don't have any they're not like as self-aware and they're not as self-conscious right. 
and they're right. just so much more free that their drawings are you it's like you you got to teach yourself to get back to that point exactly and i think that's kind of why i have we have what we're going because that's been my whole with drawing lab for mixed media artists or all my classes, they're all trying, even though we can never go back to being a third grader who just freely drew like that, we can sort of find exercises or do tricks or, you know, trick ourselves into at least having an approximation of it, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so that's kind of like my whole teaching of drawing is to try to get people to recover that more childlike freshness and passion and not worry so much about the results. With that though, as adults, we do wanna learn things and we wanna grow and we wanna get better in the traditional way. But I think the traditional way of learning drawing, like what I grew up with, works for maybe 80% of the population. And then there's the people like me who it just, it's like, it didn't work. And so I'm trying to hit that 20% of people that needed a more gentle approach, a, a more organic approach. And so anyway, <laughs> I am curious, and I'm sure other people are, because you're spending so much of your time with your platform and creating classes and working with other teachers to create classes, like how much time do you have now to actually work on your art and in your studio and just create things that you want to create? That is always a hard thing for me is to find enough studio time. Steve has been working really hard the last couple of years to address that problem with me and try to take things off my plate so that I'm not quite as involved with the website or involved with the day-to-day. -day. And then also, we kind of incorporated that as part of the year-long class that this year's year-long class is me sort of sharing my artistic journey. And so even on those weeks or two-week periods where I don't get much done, that's sort of what they're getting is, hey, I didn't get that much done, but I did do this and this. And so it's always a hard thing. We also have a new puppy who's seven months old, and he has just lit up our household in every good way, but also has made it harder for me to have <laughs> quiet time in the studio. So we know that that's temporary. That So I would say I... Sometimes I can work maybe an hour a day drawing and doing stuff. And then if I plan it, I'll take four or five hours. Some days if I'm not feeling well, because I do have depression issues, I don't draw or paint at all. So I'm kind of like always trying to find more time in the studio. But that's everybody's problem, right? Like if I, I've always felt like right now with my online teaching platform, I'm kind of like a professor who is having to put their own art aside a little bit in order to teach the classes. And um, I, I think that I don't have sort of a full-time artist practice because of what I do. That's for sure. I was just curious because I know that it takes a lot of creative energy to come up with lessons all the time too. So it's like you're using your, your creativity in that way. So then it can be hard to like find that energy to do more personal art. and But I know you like to do that. So I was just curious. And I'm sure other people were thinking that too, as a full-time, basically a full-time teacher. I do love to make lessons out of things. And um, it's almost like I'm going to have to relearn, you know, if I ever am able to retire or whatever, I'm going to have to relearn how to approach art without a lesson in mind. Right. Always. <laughs> how many classes do you have on your website right now in total? Do you know? I think we have about 60 classes from over 20 teachers. We've probably produced maybe 80 total, but 
20 of them have, for whatever reason, dropped off. They've, uh, they were only meant to be short term or didn't stand the test of time or whatever. But I think we have about 60 classes right now. And we focus on drawing, painting, and collage, mostly 2D work. Uh, I can't think of any classes that are still on there that or anything but that. Is that what you mainly focus on in your own personal practice? Yes, although I do like to make fabric stuff sometimes, but for the most part, yes. It's 2D, little books, little paintings. I I tend to work small. I wanted to just say that because I've looked through your catalog, I didn't count the classes. That's why I asked how many, but it's, there's so many different topics and things. And I'm thinking like of an actual, going to like an actual art school. A lot of people don't have that type of money because art school is not cheap. It's, it's actually one of the more expensive things to, to go to school for. And a lot of people think like, oh, I need an arts degree to be a professional artist, but that's really not true at all because nobody cares. They just look at your artwork and if they like it, they'll hire you. Like they don't care about your degree. And so I think that a platform like yours is such a, a great way for people to learn all sorts of different skills and, you know, different styles and, and try out things in a reasonably priced way and learn, you know, just as much as you would learn in an art school. You don't get a degree, but you get so much out of it. Yes. Um, our teachers are really, really generous with their tips and their knowledge. That's the best of us, right? Like we learn from somebody and then we we help or, you know, or, you know, pass it along. And a lot of our artists, we kind of run the gamut. We have, uh, like, I would say, Anita and Karina are sort of more traditional art school type teachers. Then we have Lynn Whipple, who's very fun and bright and, you know, boisterous, and then everything in between. I tend to be the sort of self-taught, my stuff is more like whimsical, let's find animals in random shapes kind of classes, but we have a range. And I was going to say earlier, I remembered what I was going to say, that it's amazing that the classes, it's not like we have a beginning art class, an intermediate art class, and an advanced. All the classes work for all the students, and you experience that in your class, Lewis, because Mm -hmm. it's like watching a movie, right? You, You watch a movie, and let's say you're watching a movie about a documentary about Picasso, you can know a lot about Picasso and enjoy the movie one way, or you can know nothing about Picasso and enjoy it as well. Yeah. So it's the same thing with the classes. Like wherever you are and how far along you think you are or whatever, you can enjoy and benefit from our classes. And I can't think of a single class that we have that a beginner couldn't jump into and get a lot out of it. Or An art school graduate would get into and get a lot out of it because it's more than just the techniques. It's it's the community. It's the inspiration. It's the kick in the pants with the assignments and everything like that. And then I would also say that it's not like the artists who are most accomplished have the most charming work. Like artists that are brand new sometimes come up with your favorite thing of the day. And just like what you said about the kids earlier, you know, like, I guess I just want to encourage everybody that there's no good, better, best, because everything is good for different reasons. Like every single piece of artwork that people are putting on the forum is charming and wonderful and has something to admire about it, even if it's not the most technically accurate or the most whatever. I'd like to see a stack of all the artwork that's been created from your classes, because I know just even the one class I did, the amount of art that all the students made, you six lessons, they're each doing at least six drawings, but some of them post, they do the lessons over and over again, I've noticed, and they'll, you know, they'll keep posting. And yes, so, they do. which is great. I mean, that's, that's the cool thing. Like you said, um, a beginner could take the class and get something out of it or an advanced person. But 
also a person that's already taken the class can take it again and do the lessons again and get something totally different out of it that time. That's right. Yes. It's really a, a cool platform. I'm trying to think if I have any any other questions. I, did you have anything, Joe? Yeah, I'd love to I'd love to dig into some of your experiences before you started any teaching. So you mentioned doing these craft fairs, galleries. I'd love to hear hear more about how that part of your career. Yes, 38 I quit a job I was an art director for a magazine. So I had worked my way up to graphic design and I decided I just I needed to quit the job. But at the same time, I thought I would try to be an artist because by that time I had been taking classes and I I realized that I really loved drawing and painting. And then shortly after that, we moved to a small art town in Colorado. So the first thing I did was I had a show of a thousand little faces. They were little watercolors and they were kind of on the cartoon they're not cartoons. Cartoony. Oh, yeah, they weren't realistic. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah. They, <laughs> and there were a thousand of them. And so I had this show and it was an okay success for this small town and everything. But then I spent time trying to get them in galleries. And I did have like the tiniest, I think I maybe was in 10 little craft galleries, but they didn't like, it wasn't enough to make a living with. And so then Etsy came along and I, and then I, I, I switched my body of work to this series of girl paintings, which were similar to the faces, but they were kind of more like childhood and innocence. And they they were very popular for people to buy for their little girls' rooms. And so through Etsy, I was able to sell prints of those. And Etsy paid our mortgage for a couple of years there alongside with the art and craft fairs. So I would spend a lot of time building this body of work of these little girl paintings. I would pick the best ones to make prints of. I would take it to the craft fair, sell them, try to sell them. But I found that the craft fair life wasn't great for me in that my work seemed like maybe it was a little too subtle for the craft fair market. Like people have to come in really close to see it because it's small and everything. And I just had the hardest time like comparing myself to all the other artists all around that were, you know, had crowds and crowds and crowds of people. And I was, I was just sitting there by myself, all by my lonesome. And then every once in a while, one person would venture in and say, Oh, these are really awesome, you know, like, get really close. So I was having some success at these shows and the galleries and Etsy. So it was like a three pronged effort at that point. And I was able to cobble together a, a little bit of a living, you know, from it. But it was hard. And we were in this small town. And financially, things were going down for us for that reason. So I would say that that time of my life was, it was hard. It was really hard not to make enough money to live. You know, we kept going into credit card debt to try to go another month. (laughs) And we'd have these big months, big hit months, and that would sort of catch us up for a while. But then it, so yeah, we definitely went through probably 10 years of starving artist struggles. And it was a hustle. I would say that teaching, I started teaching sort of towards the end of that. And then that became sort of the fourth prong. So then I had Etsy, galleries, craft fairs, and some teaching. And then eventually it it has turned to mostly teaching. And I don't think I even, I don't think I've sold a piece of art for five years, mostly because I don't have the, the mental energy to get it up and out. So they're just going into drawers, hopefully for some big garage sale sometime. <laughs> right. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's great. I think a lot of our listeners, I think partly even myself, 
are in a, a similar position of those first 10 years, right? Sometimes it's a feast and famine. Sometimes you hit it really big and then for a while it could be a lot slower and you have to realize that, prepare for that. Do you have any advice in particular for people who might be in that position now? Well, it's an interesting question because when I was at my one of my lowest points, I had met an artist who was a little further ahead of me, you know, maybe she was 10 or 15 years older. And and um, I called her asking for advice. What should I do? We're, we're just not making it. I don't know what to do. And I fully expected her to say, hang in there, you know, um, <laughs> hang in there. This is what you're meant to do, blah, blah, blah. But she didn't. She actually sort of discouraged me from it. And I got off the phone terribly discouraged. And also suddenly I realized she might have been right. But in my heart, I was like, no, I'm not going to give up. This is no, I can't. I've tried so many things up until now. I do love this. This is what I need to do. So sometimes when you hear advice, how you respond to it is the most important thing. It's not the advice itself. So I guess my point is, and this is my point when I teach drawing and painting too, is what is your gut telling you? What is your heart telling you? If your uncle, you know, Bob is saying, you need to quit. This is ridiculous. You're stupid. Your response is, no, I, you're wrong. Listen to that. Another thing that happened is at one point we were living in this small town. I wanted to start working at Safeway because we didn't have any there was no place to work there except for Walmart and Safeway or the prison. And I thought Safeway was the best of those three options. And my husband, uh, I credit him with keeping us on track. He said, Carla, if you spent those 15 hours a week that you would work at Safeway marketing yourself, you would make more than the $15 an hour that you would make at Safeway. That really clicked with me and it got me through that that really hard moment of basically wanting to give up. But he was he was really afraid. And I think he was right that if if I put all my first energies into somebody else, which would be working with people, you know, <laughs> working with money, um, we were done for creatively. So I don't know if that answers your question either. But uh, okay, the advice, my advice is, you know, in your heart, what you can do and what you want to do. And and keep asking for advice and keep listening to your own personal response to that advice. And there may be a time when you're like, you know what, this is the time I need to work at, at Safeway. This is for one year, I'm going to do this. Just that would be the right decision. It's hard, though. It's hard to know what you want when you're in it. And I feel lucky that I we stuck with it. And then it turned into something that we didn't know. Like we didn't know that we would be doing online classes, but we did. We stuck with it, but we were also open to it changing and morphing with the times. So that would be maybe some advice is you may think you want to be a gallery artist, but then once you're right down into it, it turns out that you want to um, to do a series of zines, you know, <laughs> or something like that. So I would say go for it and then be open to your career moving the direction it moves and say yes to opportunities like say yes to teaching kids you know at a classroom and it could be the thing that becomes your passion that you didn't even know and I would also say that I'm not really making my living as an artist right now I feel like I'm making it as a teacher but I get to make art <laughs> it may be enough for me you know what I mean I don't know that I really want to be a gallery artist and I'm lucky that I love to teach and I love to make these little things. And so I finally, with all the jobs I had, all the editorial jobs and everything, it's all sort of coalesced to work for what 
we're doing now. And I think the same will happen to all the listeners too. If you can both stay focused on what you want to do, but also be open to things changing and influences um, changing your direction. Be flexible. I like that. I think that it's it's true that most artists, when they're starting out, they really do need to try to have as many prongs or as many baskets as possible. But you know, like like you did, where you had Etsy and, and galleries and the ex- other exhibits, and then what will happen is you'll notice if you get enough of those baskets, you're going to start seeing which ones you enjoy more and which ones are actually more successful and making you money. And then you can just lean heavily into those ones more, you know, but it, it, That's does, right. it does take experimentation. And like you said, you it's so true. If you had worked at Safeway for 15 hours a week, if you took those 15 hours and just put them into marketing yourself, which is what a lot of artists struggle with the most, but that's probably the most important part of your, your art career is marketing. Like that email list, that you built, that's probably what has made your career as successful as it is because you have people that you got their information and and you reach out to them and say, hey, we have a new class. You're always telling them what's going on and, and what you have to offer. Yes. Yes. The email list has been really important and it takes a while to build. But And then also people will unsubscribe, especially in the beginning when you're watching all the numbers and you see people unsubscribe and you, you start to feel bad about yourself, but don't because it's just people are subscribing and unsubscribing all the time. It's not personal. And you just, you do have to develop a thicker skin. That's for sure too. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want that to hurt your feelings of someone. If they're unsubscribing, they're not your ideal clientele anyway. That's right. right? And so you're you're not wasting their time or your time. That's right. (laughs) Like who cares if they unsubscribe? I used to think that too, if like my Instagram numbers dipped or something like, oh, I got less followers. But it's like, who cares? It doesn't even matter. Like if they weren't going to follow you, then they definitely weren't going to buy anything that you were selling, (laughs) right? So like, oh, well, it's not a big deal. I used to not give email lists the credit it deserves. You know, and I, for a long time, I, I, I poo-pooed it. I thought social media was, was the way to go. But I've definitely come around to believing that that was wrong. That was definitely wrong thinking. And learning some interesting statistics, too, where on average, or a rough estimate is every email you have on your email list is roughly a dollar a month of income. Mm. So if you, if you think of that as just a numbers game, you know, you could say, Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Well, I would say that our email list (laughs) has been key. Like we just put a new class up yesterday and um, I put it on my blog and I put it on Facebook and we've gotten a few sales, but I haven't put it up yet. I'm going to send a newsletter out later today. And that's when most people will find out about it and decide to to purchase it. So yeah, I would say start collecting those emails. And and like Lewis said, it doesn't have to be that many in the beginning. If people want to be on your list, they care about you and they, they want to support you in some way. And even if it's not monetarily now, it will be maybe later. So yes, email list. I've been trying to talk another friend of mine into getting hers organized as well. It's definitely a, a huge part of an artist career is having a, a group of people that are your supporters that you know will be there to back whatever projects you're doing. And social media is good, but people that sign up for an email list, they take an ec- that extra step, which means they're probably even more interested in your work. 
if they're willing to give yeah. you their email. And I actually don't have a hard time collecting emails, like, but I always have a hard time figuring out, like, I'm not very good at sending rate. Like, I have, I'm signed up for your email newsletter. So I get your emails and I see how often they come out. And I'm like, it makes me think, like, I really should be putting out more email newsletters. But I feel like I never have anything to say until, like, I've got a project going on. But when you have a, a platform like you, you always have regular things that are going on, which helps to, to give you content for your newsletter. That is true. And then also, I should say that it's always hard to come up with newsletter content. I found it helps if I write every day in sort of like a journal because that gives me little seeds of ideas when I need a newsletter topic. But yeah, it's always kind of like, oh no, I have nothing to say, <laughs> you know, but there's usually always something to say. <laughs> yeah. How do you manage your emails? Do you have a software that you... That's a really good question. In the beginning, I was doing it all without MailChimp or Constant Contact. I was doing it, trying to keep it all organized. And my husband, of course, was just like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And no, I don't want to spend the money. And he's like, this is important. I would definitely recommend just getting either MailChimp or Constant Contact and putting in your budget however much it costs to have that because that way they can unsubscribe automatically. It's right. all legal. Everything is kind of on the up and up. We do MailChimp now and we started out with Constant Contact and both of them are fine. We just went with MailChimp because we did our website and there was a little bit easier integration, but they're both easy. And yeah, I would really recommend that because you do want them to be able to unsubscribe automatically without you even knowing about it or resubscribing without you even knowing about it, you know, rather than trying to do it manually. Right. I did it manually too at the beginning and I did like, there's no way to unsubscribe. And it was one day I got an email that just said, Hey, can I be removed from your list? And it, it like stung. And I was like, Oh, I got to get some other way to do this. I don't want to get emails like that ever again. Yeah. Even though it's like, who cares? But when they just hit on subscribe, like you said, it, you used to see the number go down or whatever. But to get that message, it felt like harsh or something. Like, and I didn't I even. I still get them sometimes and it still feels harsh. And I'm like, all you had to do is unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people are funny. I really so appreciative that you came on and talked to us about your platform and your art. Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been really great. Thank you so much. Well, thank you both. It was really enjoyable talking to you. So your platform is Carl. We'll put this in the show notes so people can see, but it's carlasonheim.com. So it's just your name, the name of the website. Yes. And from there, you can, I'm sure that there's links to your social media and stuff too, right? If you Google Carla Sonheim, you'll get the Instagram or Facebook. But yeah, and my email is just Carla at CarlaSonheim.com. So if anybody wants to email me with questions, I'm happy to answer them. That's my job. <laughs> and definitely check out some of those classes because they're, they're really great. Thanks. We have a really wonderful bunch of teachers and we all love to create and love to share. So that's, that's true for all the platforms. Uh, we're not special in that way, but it's a nice group. Great. Thank you for coming and thank you for listening, everyone. Thanks. Bye-bye.